I really, I, I really had fun though. I, I think my Spotify now thinks I'm, you know, a ginormous deadhead. <laughs> I'm Michael Marinello. And I'm Robert Mathers. And this is the Radio Free Jersey Record Club. And on our premiere episode, volume one, Run for the Roses by Jerry Garcia. Um, uh, are we in the groove? Did you drop the needle? More swing and a little bit of scotch, I think is what you're looking for, right? It's time for the Radio Free Jersey Record Club. All right, so how I hope everyone's uh, doing well, and thank you all for uh, downloading and subscribing, and we appreciate you having here. To uh, set the scene for you all, I'm going to just give a little bit of a, a, a primer here to, to let you know what we're talking about. So Robert and I, as you know, um, and if you're uh, downloaded this podcast, you probably do know our, our other podcast, um, but we're just two music nerds. So what we decided to do was to form a... You know what in the when people used to read books a book club <laughs> uh but we would do it um with a an album so our premise was we would take we would decide on an album uh, a week beforehand in this case we chose run for the roses by jerry garcia um and then we would spend a week with it uh listen to it as many times as we want it do some research uh look up a kind of history look up lyrics who was on the album that type of stuff uh give it you know sit with it for a week coalesce our thoughts then cut, get together and discuss it like uh we would a book club and we have a certain we have uh, certain uh, sections we are going to go over and uh, and discuss on here so uh i think it'll be fun uh, and i'm uh, looking forward to doing this uh in some other ones and uh, if anybody has any suggestions any anybody uh, wants to hear an album get uh, broken down, uh, feel free to send it along. Or, better yet, come and join us. I've uh, I've already talked to a friend of ours, Robert, uh, Mr. Spagnardi, Ooh. who is uh, going to uh, find an album, assign it to us two, and join us to uh, break it down. A little uh, three-man weed style. I love that. So. that then, yes, the, the club gets bigger. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I had a lot of fun uh, doing this, listening to this, too. I had not listened to this record in a long time um mm-hmm. i've listened to tracks off of this record on some different playlists uh that i have but um i had not listened to this record all the way through uh probably in about 16 years or so okay um nice. so um just out of curiosity what um what uh, led you to suggest this one? Because this one was a, a Robert suggestion. No, this was yours. Uh, oh, was yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Oh, right. I wanted to do something to celebrate in between days. Right. The days in between, which uh, uh, for those of you who don't know, are uh, August 1st to August 9th. Jerry Garcia was born on August 1st, and he died on August 9th, 1995. Um, so in the dead community, in the Grateful Dead community, and if you don't know who Jerry Garcia was, he was the uh, he was a, a founding member of the Grateful Dead, um, and uh, so we celebrate the days between uh, every year, and it's a, a lot of giving to charity and reflecting on the work that Jerry did. Jerry was a you know a centerpiece of of, of the Grateful Dead, um, and this is not going to be about the Grateful Dead, but. You know, it, it's important to know a little bit about Jerry. Uh, he was a very accomplished guitar player. Um, 
died way too young. He was 53 years old. Um, of, I mean, he he had a heart attack after coming out of rehab for the umpteenth time for heroin. He was a little on the heavy side. Um, you know, music kind of ruled his life, but there were some demons in there. It mm-hmm. happens with artists. Yeah, we're a few weeks removed uh, from that. But yeah, we were recording our other show of all time. Uh, and if you're not yeah. familiar with that, that's where we uh, beat up music lists. And yeah. um, and uh, <laughs> so we were having to be talking. And you said, well, I want to start with Run for the Roses. And and so right. my question for you is, of all of the Jerry Garcia uh, solo records, um, right. you know, all four of them, what made right. you want to pick Run for the Roses? Uh, maybe I had heard... I'm thinking maybe I had just heard that song. Okay. And uh, what got me in, I, yeah, I, I know I want to do a Jerry Garcia. I just didn't. I, I, so you I just pulled, which is great, what, which is which is what I love about how we're already getting into the show. It is just but, like, you know, kind of closing your eyes and just running down the stacks of vinyls figuratively <laughs> and going, that one, you know, which right. we've all done. Uh, well, it's a lot harder to do with a, with a Spotify or a Pandora or a right. Apple Music exactly. playlist. Um, but, right. you know, when we had CD collections or, you know, and it was all displayed yep. on a big, you know, case or, or a bookshelf or record shelf or whatever, you could you could do that. So, um, exactly. all right, so here, let's run through, I like the way you've broken it up. So the, the way right. this is going to go, kids, uh, <laughs> is uh, we're going to talk about the stats of the record. Mm-hmm. Um, then we're going to move into whether we think this is a, a trackable record, right? So most really good record albums are designed, especially in the heyday of vinyl, to... Yep. Um, start at the beginning and end, you know, it should be a cohesive thing versus a, uh, just a collection of singles or just a random collection of songs. Uh, that's right. how record albums were originally done in the forties and fifties and early sixties. It, you have mm-hmm. a number of artists, the Beatles among them that carefully sequenced, uh, uh the yep. records, right? If you go back to the, when they first released Sgt. Pepper on CD in the late eighties, 87, uh, on the 20th anniversary, it, it shows you, alternate sequencing that they played Mm -hmm. with because you could program your CD player anyway. So we'll talk about whether this is a trackable album. Mike and I have talked about this before and some other podcasts that we've done. You know, the best thing about a record, one of the best things about a record album is that you, when you're just feeling down or feeling something, (laughs) you can put a record album on and go from start to finish Um, because you, you know, you can't skip around and that's why it's very important for a, a, an album to be sequenced, uh, in such a way so that you go on some sort of musical journey. So that's what we mean when we talk about, uh, tracking and I'll just, and then we, we, we get into the, the, the music, what is the general music feel, what's it sound like, uh, how, how is it produced? Uh, what instrumentations, anything new, anything different? Uh, then we talk about the lyrics, uh, any good quotes, any good one-liners, uh, is there is a there a lyrical theme? Uh, then we will then we go on to talk about kind of what I call where do we go from here? Uh, what did this artist do after that? Um, what how was, did this album influence anything? Did it change anything? Did it lead to? Can you hear it in any other artist? Did any other artist right. say like, oh, all right, I'm, I I this album and you know it influenced me you do write this right. type of song so, so basically it is like a book club a uh where and but these are the 10 these are the jumping off points and and you know as this podcast progresses you know we may tweak this format a little bit but that's where we are today so we start with the stats yep 
So, uh, yeah, let me just, uh, uh, we're going to go just the straight, you know, all the, <laughs> uh, this is not our opinion type of stuff. Everything you need to know about the album. So, it, uh, name of the album is Run for the Roses by Jerry Garcia. So, interestingly, it is not credited. It's just credited to Jerry Correct. Garcia, not the Jerry Garcia band. Right. And we will get into that in uh, uh, later on here. It was released November 1982. Um and the track listing on when it was originally released was Run for the Roses, I Saw Her Standing There, which is a Beatles cover, Without Love, which is a Clyde McFadder, McFadder. McFadder yep. um, cover, Midnight Get- Getaway, Leave That Little Girl Alone, Valerie, and then uh, and it was a cover of Knocking on Heaven's Door by Bob Dylan. Um, and then, in, then, right. And then in 2004, yeah. uh, a yep. box set came out um, on Rhino with the Grateful Dead uh, organization and Jerry's estate called All Good Things, Jerry Garcia Studio Sessions. And mm-hmm. Run for the Roses featured uh, the following bonus tracks, a studio recording of Fenario, which is this weird traditional, it's also called Peggio, the dead played it. Ad nauseum. Um, <laughs> starting in 1973, it is it is my one of my least favorite. I just don't like the song. Um, there is a Jerry Studio cover of Alabama Getaway, uh, mm-hmm. which is uh, which was originally done by the Grateful Dead two years earlier uh, right. on 1980s Go to Heaven. Uh, two yep. more Bob Dylan covers, uh, Tangled yep. Up in Blue and Simple Twist of Fate. Another Beatles cover called, uh, a, a little song called Dear Prudence. And then yep. uh, an alternate mix of uh, Valerie. And these bonus tracks, yes. some were done for the session for Run for the Roses. Some were yep. left over from uh, session work that had been done on his previous record called Compliments. Well, it's funny. Uh, I in, in researching this to that point, um, I didn't realize that it was also that the first two albums were both called Jerry Garcia, but I guess compliment was sent to when it was initially pressed, it was sent to record uh, to radio stations and it said compliment, but they put a sticker on it that said compliments of Jerry Garcia. So it was colloquially known as comp. They just started calling it compliments after that. So um, the musicians on this album, uh, from my understanding and my reading about this, uh, John Kahn, am I saying yep, that name you are. right? The bass player is basically the kind of the one constant uh, through his solo career yes. uh, that he plays with, you know, when he's just playing as Jerry Garcia, he's been in the Jerry Garcia band. And he also coincidentally pr- helped produce this album. It kind of sounds like his right hand mm-hmm. man um, on drums for this session are Ron Tut. Uh, I believe this is the first, is this the first sighting of, uh, Melvin Seals yes, first on time, organ? First time, John Kahn brought Melvin Seals and they went to the same church. <laughs> and then uh, Merle Saunders, both of them playing the organ. James Warren playing the piano, clavinet. Michael Omaritan playing the piano and clavinet. Michael Newman, trumpet. And uh, Liz uh, Styers and Julie Stafford playing, uh, singing background vocals. Um, also, uh, they're also very prominently featured in a lot of the um, bonus tracks as well. They're amazing on uh, Tangled Up. And, and it was Blue. released on Arista Records. Okay. The, the Grateful Dead were on at the time. Uh, the, just in talking in terms of the chronology, uh, he had come out with a couple of solo albums prior to this, as well as um, a band 
album. So the Garcia album and Compliments were in 72 and 74, and Reflections were in 76. And then as the Jerry Garcia band at Stars uh, was in 78. Um, and then let's not forget the day job was Grateful Dead, and they had re- the, the studio album, 80 was Go to Heaven. And then they had two different live sets released in 1981 right before this. One was Reckoning, which I think was recorded yep. in New York, I believe, which is acoustic set mostly. And then Dead Set, which was recorded in San Francisco and New York. Uh, Dead Set's the famous one. It's got the really cool cover of the skeletons in San Francisco Bay. Uh, and then the the other side, the other cover is them over Radio oh, right. City. Oh, right. The back. Yep. Yeah. The yes. back cover. So yeah. that's kind of where he is. So, you know, it's not like... Right, and he's leading into... So he's written... At this point, he's also started writing some of the songs, um, the framework for some of the songs that would eventually appear on their highest charting, on the Grateful Dead's highest charting record, uh, which was 1987's studio album called In right. the Dark. Uh, they started peppering uh, some of those songs from In the Dark, like Touch of Grey. God, I want to think it goes all the way back to 84. Um you know, right. so that, right. so the, you know, just again, kind of gives you, like you said, Mike, where, where his head was right. at, where, where his head could have <laughs> been uh, in night between nine in, in basically 1981 when most of the stuff will, again, some of the songs, some of the sessions go back to 1974, right. uh, eight years earlier. Um, um, the, 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 some of the covers in the bonus right. tracks, um, but were touched up around this time right. too. Right. So um, uh, I don't know what you found. Uh, I put a little bit of what, uh, you know, the review I read off of All all Music, which was a little, you know, they really love Pats Under the Stars, Jerry Garcia band. And they thought that this album had some peaks like that, but uh, a lot more uh, troughs, for lack of a better term. Uh, Didn't didn't like it nearly as much as Cats Under the Stars. I don't know if you had any other uh, any any uh, research or anything that you did uh, on uh, what uh, what the reviews and how it was how it was received upon release. It it was if you were a diehard Jerry guy, you, you took everything <laughs> right. Uh, it was a it, it did meet some critical success. Although if you were a rigid deadhead. Or rigid Jerry guy, because there is there are several camps within the Grateful Dead community. Some that are like they should have done psychedelic music the entire right. time. Um, there are those of us who just love the fact that the Grateful Dead was an American act that took all pretty much most of the forms of of, of music at some form or another. I mean, it, they are a you cannot classify them as a straight rock mm-hmm. band because they also do heavy country. They also do heavy folk. Right. Jerry. Certainly, Jerry loved hillbilly mm-hmm. music, um, you know, uh, and but there there is some soul, uh, like I said, jazz and their improv styles. There is some of that psychedelia, um, just American, you know, American music. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get into it a little bit more here uh, in um in the tracking, um, but it, it was it, it did get some critical success. It, it was not a commercial success, right. um, but it uh, you know almost forty years, thirty two or forty 
38 years later, math, uh, it, it holds yeah. up. I mean, or it, it, it is it has a place in yes. the Pantheon, I exactly. should say it like that. So uh, as I track this and, and would listen to it over and over again, I would frequently vacillate between. All right. Um, I really like this. Good. I'm, I'm digging it. And then I would get annoyed by uh, by hearing something. I'm like, oh, this, I could just skip this and, and go forward. So um, some I, and then I found myself. Uh, enjoying and digging some of the bonus tracks better than the actual album. So, like, I really liked, uh, I really liked Tangled Up in Blue uh, and Dear Prudence. I thought they were really well done. Good. Uh, a nice new spin and a nice Jerry feel um, uh, to to those songs and kind of a new lease on life. In fact, I would swap out if I was... If I if I was to, to you know to kind of make my Frankenstein's monster version of this album, I would have taken out "Knocking on Heaven's Door" and replaced it with his cover of "Tangled Up in Blue." I just I like that much better. There seems to be a much better energy in that song, and "Knocking on Heaven's Door" seems like a little bit too white boy reggae-ish uh, for for my taste. Yeah, no, I agree. There were. Um... I think this this comes up after the Clapton version of I Shot the Sheriff and even Clapton's knocking on Heaven's Door has a little um it seemed like almost a nod to to that reggae which was, you know, starting to there was an eighties sort of resurgence. I mean there seems to be a resurgence of reggae every five or ten years anyway. Um So what you you said you found how how did it from a tracking perspective so I found myself uh, wanting to skip. I saw her standing there and leave that little girl alone and even knock on heaven's door when I listened through it. So I, I wouldn't want to track it all the way through. And I would find myself, you know, in, in this world of Spotify or, uh, or uh, iTunes or Apple Plus, I would have, you know, I was tempted to make my own kind of like remixed album of, you know, my favorite six tracks from it and, and, and do it like that. I, I I agree with you. I will say this as a deadhead. Uh, I agree. This is not a trackable record for me. Um, you know, I like Jerry's solo work. Now, before I got this bonus version, uh, the box had all good things in 2004. I I had heard, you know, I, I obviously I, I had had the record on on vinyl mm-hmm. at one point. I don't know where it right. went. I'm going to blame some girl in college. Um, <laughs> I remember uh, Run for the Roses would be on random mixes that yep. I would make. The, again, like you had mentioned, I kind of go back and forth on the version of <laughs> I Saw Her Standing There. Um, yeah. I, you, I had made a, a mix in college of when I was learning how to you know mix things on yep. a board, I would make these segued mixes. Do remember doing like create, you know, Beatles cover songs you've never heard before because it wasn't a single. Then I realized, ah, crap, Muni played the hell. That's why I knew it because Scott had played <laughs> it on. It all goes back to Scott, so. So where I come from a tracking perspective, to me, I didn't get the sequence. Uh, I still don't get a sequence out of it. I I still think that there's not an overarching theme other than uh, the more, the older I get, I'll say (laughs) this way, and certainly listening to this, the more I understand it. Um, I I, I did. I skipped, even when I was going back and doing the prep over the past week, I would find there were times I'm like, I I wasn't, it wasn't in the right mood for for Midnight Getaway, and then I'd be back in the mood for it. Knocking on Heaven's Door, I could pretty much skip every time. (laughs) As I mentioned before, I blew right past 
flipping Fenario. <laughs> um, I love the the you know the the all you know the the bonus tracks as we get in there. But you know, from a music and a lyric perspective, where you where do you sit so there? I, you know, I, I think in my initial write up, I was a little harsh. It definitely seems of of its era. You could definitely tell it's got some of that '80s slickness to it. But I, I and then yep. reading what you wrote, uh, I will agree that I do like the feel and the added uh, added texture that uh, the two organ players add to this. Uh, um, Merle, Merle Saunders, Saunders and, and Melvin Seals, yeah. And uh, you know, and Jerry's guitar is just uh, great guitar. It's 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 you know kind of what you'd expect. But even that, that's a fine thing. Is when I now when I think about it. Like, you know, I have the, the, the very Grateful Dead style. But even that, he's not doing that as much. He's, uh, he's playing more blues stuff. He's playing a little bit more country stuff. So He's doing more rhythm on this yeah. than he is anything else. There, there are no epic Jerry right. solos uh, to speak of right. on this record. I, I, I liked it. The Robert Hunter uh, collaborations, the original. Yeah. I like, I, you know, they, they were kind of, uh, they're, they're fun. You know, I, I think, you know, Leave My Little Girl Alone is kind of a throwaway. It's a John Conn uh, song. But yeah. I like Run for the Roses. Yeah, and uh, I, I like it, it. The one thing I, I seem to pull out of here, and we were uh, we had discussed it before, the one thing about the originals that keep coming up is a unrequited love slash breakup slash I know you're, I, I know you're a no good woman type of deal. So that's in Run for the Roses. It's in Valerie. It's definitely a yeah. midnight getaway it is very much like all right well i have this girl who's no good for me but you know i don't want to leave her but she won't pay attention to me but she's sneaking around and she's cheating on me and all that stuff so what you you, you had a term for it you uh you said you you felt like some of these lyrics could have been written by uh, well it, by John it, yeah Lennon. so I mean, to steal from the legendary uh, uh, WNAW, now WFUV, uh, New York City disc jockey, Dennis Elses, this is a fucking mixed bag. Um, <laughs> it is not a dead record by any stretch of the imagination. Yep. Yes, the Grateful Dead did a shit ton of Bob Dylan. They even toured with Bob Dylan after this yep. came out. They'd been doing Knocking on Heaven's Door. I've, there are some... Actually, I think there are standing... I saw her standing here from the Cap Theater in Passaic. Might have been around mm-hmm. here, but I had to look this up um, the Dead never they've played things off of uh, his other solo work certainly again Birdsong or right, Deal yeah. uh, those yeah. are became Dead songs I actually right. went and looked it up on uh, on Dead Bass uh, oh Lord XI what's that Run 11 the yeah they've never played Run for the, the Grateful Dead never played Run for the Roses so I was trying to think how did I know it NEW and then having the record right, uh, right yeah. and, and hearing some tapes of, of Jerry Garcia bat, yeah. a band now what stood out to me really on this listen over this past week is that it is a very mature album I don't think when I first heard it at 12 13 14 even again when I was in my 20s did I get the whole thing um, yeah. Jerry Garcia was 42 years old when this uh-huh. record came out and again, some of the sessions were from the compliment sessions from eight years earlier. So he's in his late thirties, uh, sort of settled down a little bit. His he's got a couple of girls by this point. Um, right. 
you know, I know Run for the Roses has some of the ideals that a young person's going to sing about. You know, Robert Hunter is great at phrasing. I do remember playing Valerie and Without Love, which are two very bluesy songs uh, when yeah. I hosted Bluesology at 889 yeah. FM WERS in Boston. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they hold up as solid blues songs. I, I don't know if I agree with... Yes, there is some slick production to it, but it doesn't sound like other overly produced records of the 1980s. Now, let's talk a little. This is what you were getting to. Midnight Getaway, okay? I imagine this song could have been written by John Lennon. Um, And remember, John Lennon, they, they were... Roughly the same age, come to think of it, yeah. right? This is yep. ADD, yeah. So they were about the same age. I mean, you think about uh, the the way John Lennon sang and wrote on Double Fantasy, on his side okay. of Double Fantasy. Um, yep. You know, I imagine that John Lennon could have written uh, Midnight Getaway. It has that yep. lost love theme, theme, and there's so many flipping details. Like, it's so descript that as a young person, you're like, ah, oh, I can't stand. Yes, all right, so you kick the cat under the stairs, da, 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 and I hear the yep. car turn, and then, you know, it's all, then it is, all right, well, it's not as melodic as a Bob Dylan sort of describing what he had for breakfast kind of a song. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's heartbreak because she thinks she's sneaking out and he won't know till the morning, and he is. He knows that she's not coming back. He thinks a couple times she might come back, but this is it. It's over. The relationship's done. And she's getting in that car and she is not coming back. Um, And and the way he sings it, too, and the phrasing to me reminded me of sad, older John Lennon dealing with really adult. Because when you're young and there's lost love, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm," you know, like Taylor Swift, right? I'm heartbroken for an album and then I'm over it. Um, You know, uh, I, to borrow a Bob Dylan line, you know, when I listen to this, it did hit me like a freight train. I Mm -hmm. do disagree on the riffs. Uh, I don't hear, like I said before, I don't hear a ton of Jerry. uh, To me, this is like Jerry doing a soul record. Um, And especially with John and and, and Melvin and and Merle, which he he had had played from there. So he wanted to do something different after after Go to Heaven, right? Which was, uh, you know, it was Brent's first record in The Grateful Dead. Um, It was not a, you know, but like I said, it was well-received. it really is Jerry fronting a a soul band. If I were going to produce it from scratch with all of these sessions and sequence, and I definitely I would pull out exactly what you pulled out, and I would put right. the songs with the horns. I don't care if you have three Bob Dylan songs on there or two in a row right. or whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know that that simple twist of fate is is just amazing. Um, and yep. I realize I kind of put this in a, in a different place, but you know the the bonus stuff the. the the Tangled Up in Blue uh, is, uh, it's one of my favorite and has been yeah. for 16 years since I've heard it, versions of Tangled Up in Blue ever. I love the somewhat raspiness of uh, Simple Twist of Fate. It's a little too bouncy at first, but then you get right. into, because Dylan originally did it 
almost dirgy like which is again it is one right. of my favorite bob dylan songs yep uh, i'm sure we'll do blood on the tracks at some point um but <laughs> exactly. i love the fact that this this is very bouncy this is like you could almost see a band playing this like in a club or you know where where with with band stands you know the, the music stands right. with the yep. with a you know <laughs> big j and a g on it and then and the band yeah, is just exactly. sort of like with, you with know mr Curcio uh running exactly yeah. right and, and you can see that they're in suits and it's and the, yep. the way you know boom, yep. And then just Jerry has these raspy vocals mm-hmm. that counterbalance the upbeatness of the song. And it's not right. supposed to be an upbeat song. And I love the fact that, uh, and I did read somewhere that Bob Dylan had mentioned that he loved the way Jerry did it. The Grateful Dead did, did a different arrangement about it. Yep. The cover of Dear Prudence, For though, sure. is, uh, and not a, I have two favorite covers of Dear Prudence. This version, I just, I love the horn solo. Where you'd expect the Jerry solo, there's this right. beautiful horn solo that just yep. kind of resolves into, and then round, right. round, 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 round. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, you want to go totally in the other opposite direction, and you do Susie Shoe and the Banshees with oh, yeah, their, their you know, sort of cover of it. So, Both amazing. Yeah, um, and it's funny. Um, I was thinking as I looked at kind of the albums and the chron- chronology, um, I remember, uh, what, uh, Robert remind me, what was the radio station you worked at after you graduated college? Uh, 100.7 WZLX, Boston's ZLX. classic rock. So <laughs> in 1991, um, fall of 1991 as a freshman on Newton campus of Boston college, uh, meet a young man named Barry Donahue who happens to have grown up about a mile or two away from us in Montclair, New Jersey. He is in his dorm room on the Newton campus of Boston College listening to ZLX. And they said, if you are the, you know, whatever, you know, 107th caller or whatever it was, uh, we will give you. uh, And I think he had to answer a trivia question. And um, he won the Jerry Garcia Band live album, the one with the cartoon drawing of them playing live Mm -hmm. that came out in 1991 from ZLX. And uh, ever since then, well, uh, I really love that album. I think that's a great Jerry Garcia Band live album. And the version of Dear Prudence live on that Mm -hmm. is great. So when I was thinking about that album um, and that version of Dear Prudence, and then when I heard the, you know, the, you know, the studio version they did, which I thought was also great. But it's just, it was kind of funny that like, all right, he was clearly, you know, and I, I believe the, the, Grateful Dead, did they do covers of uh, Prudence as well? It, uh, yes. Uh, basically, they peppered in right around now through through the end run. Uh, all right. So let's let's jump into our other section, which is uh, where do we go from here? So um, that's just basically to say what did he do after that? We've discussed it briefly, um, but uh, we can get into it further. Um this is the, uh, I'll have to admit, uh, one of the funny things I, I found in, in doing this research was, um, the, did you know of uh, either the term or just know of it, the the so-called dirty 80s? Well, that's when I started seeing the band, yeah. I mean, basically, <laughs> I, I saw them at the end, right? So this, the era was what uh, about three years. Basically, f- you know, about a year after this, so what would you say? It was March 83 to July 86. Um mm-hmm. This was, I think, 85 was what we called, I think it was 85, or maybe it was even 80, around there. Jerry had two, Jerry, uh, they were jokingly called at the time, Twinkie Meltdown number one and Twinkie Meltdown number two. Jerry went 
as a combination of being severely overweight and not taking care of himself and taking lots of drugs, heroin predominantly and right. cocaine. Um, so, you know, you're up and you're down and you're up and you're down. It wreaks havoc on your heart. Uh, he was also eating a lot of sugar. He went into two diabetic comas. Right. The second one, he had to teach himself how to play guitar again. And that's where you get that upswing. Um, right. So I saw them on that upswing, but they were also, you know, in the period that I saw the band from 1986 to 1994, because I didn't get to see any of the shows in 95. There were good nights and there were not so good nights. Right. Exactly. And what what's interesting was what I didn't realize that, the, you know, from like basically the 1980 or 1980 on until he died, this like the law until Brent died, that this is the longest uh, the a lineup had stayed the same throughout. Right. So just a little brief here, you know what that means. You know, you had your founding members of the Grateful Dead, Jerry Garcia, Bob Weir, Phil Lesh, Mickey Hart, and Bill Kreitzman. Um, and Ron Pigpen McKiernan was their first keyboardist. They had a, another guy that kind of drifted in and out named Tom Constantine from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but he, he was not an official member of the band. He was sort of a touring guy. Mm-hmm. Um then in 72, they bring in a husband and wife duo of uh, Donna Jean Godshaw and Keith Godshaw. Donna does backup vocals. Keith is a keyboard player to supplement uh, mm-hmm. Ron Pigpen McKiernan, whose drinking was um, getting out of control. Uh, and he really kind of went batty because the love of his life, Janis Joplin, had died about a year before. I think she died in 71, right? So he... Um, uh, Pigpen just basically drank himself uh, to death. Um, then Keith and Donna played with a band pretty much. To, they left the band mm-hmm. uh, around 79, if memory serves. And yep. unfortunately, then Keith died, I believe, in a motorcycle accident. Um, okay. So the, the, the gag about Spinal Tap losing uh, drummers <laughs> The rumor was always that it was loosely based on the Grateful Dead churning through um, uh, uh, keyboard players. Um, uh, And it became even more sort of prescient after the fact. So they bring in this kid, Brent Midland. um, Mm -hmm. It was like in his late 20s or something. uh, And Brent, uh, Brent and Jerry were kind of soulmates or simpatico in the fact that they, they were musical geniuses had a horrible problem with heroin um, uh, because they were trying to dull the pain. They couldn't quite comprehend the fame. Uh, mm-hmm. The rest of the band was able to roll up into it because the Grave Lead had a very, you know, cold following, but it really wasn't until around 1987 till In the Dark yeah. comes out and they hit this commercial success uh, that they started playing these stadiums. Well, even before that, right? I mean, because I only saw them in stadiums. Um, right. So 85, they, you know, they're playing Giants. They, they were used to playing small clubs. I mean, they played, right. you know, Jersey City for years. Right, exactly. uh, the Cap Theater in Passaic when it was in Passaic. Yeah. Um, you know, they uh, Radio City was a, still a smaller venue. Then they start playing the Garden. Then they're starting to play outdoor venues, giant venues, Alpine. Uh, you know, RFK. They're starting to play stadiums, and yep. you had two different. And this is when I hopped on the bus, and I will to my dying day. I went there for the music, but uh, you know, there were there were times where there were people hangers on who because it was a scene, it was popular, it was you know a thing to do. Um, 
because there was a drug culture in the parking lot and people would buy tickets and you know uh, they were normally rich kids um right who you know didn't wouldn't know a wouldn't know a song didn't know the meaning of the music so jerry had a problem and and then then you had this other group of of deadheads who were had put jerry in this sort of christ-like mm-hmm. you know um pedestal and he just you know didn't know how to handle that not that i want to speak for you know from what i've read he didn't know how to handle that and withdrew uh in fact you know if you listen to recordings around this time to the end jerry very very rarely talked if at all in between songs you go back to the 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 sort of the golden age was called in the 70s um where everything was firing on all cylinders and they had more on nights than off jerry's jerry and bobby are joking around with each other they're joking around with the crowd you know i think jerry and brent um didn't had some trouble with that and you know when i interviewed bob weir years later you know he'd said that in fact even in bob's um i think it's a few years old uh, a documentary called the other one bobby talks about it because oh jerry killed himself i mean you know i love him but i'm pissed off that he killed himself he didn't have to right. do that i think that um jerry garcia will in a hundred years from now you know like we're still talking about gershwin you know we're still yep. talking about um uh uh, John Philip Sousa, you know, J- Jerry and Robert Hunter among the Grateful Dead, you know, or in addition to, I think we'll go down just as I think Paul Simon would, you know, we could add nosing with the list, but I think they will go down in history uh, as some of the great American composers. And I think that even 50 years from now, a hundred years out from when the Grateful Dead first started, or even when this record was put out, um, you know, 38 years ago, uh, you'll have people who will still find a way to interpret these songs because m- maybe not every song on this record, but right. uh, the the music speaks for itself. So, yeah, I, I think rather than um, let's resist the urge to do a grade, but uh, I will just say I definitely though there's some definitely some skippable songs and some things where I, you know, I would question. I really I love getting to know this album and kind of getting back into this um, this phase of Jerry Garcia. And it, it made me revisit a lot of uh, Jerry Garcia things. And I'm going to say something and I'll duck after saying it. <laughs> I kind of like, I enjoy the version of Peggy O they do on this uh, album. And it's, uh, and uh, I would definitely, you know, um, uh, listen to it again and, and go back to it. Well, uh, thank you all for listening. I hope you like the first uh, edition of the Radio Free Jersey Record Club. Um, tune in uh, next week. Uh, I haven't determined what we're going to play. But, it'll uh, be a surprise for you. It'll be a surprise for you. It'll be a surprise for me. It'll be a surprise for everybody. But uh, thank you guys for listening. And uh, you could follow us as you do with the other show in the same uh, fabulous location. So that is at Radio Free Jersey on Instagram and Twitter or RadioFreeJersey.com on the web. And please help us grow the show by uh, rating it and uh, reviewing it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Radio Free Jersey Record Club is written and produced by Michael Marinello and Robert Mathers. Music by Alibi. I'm Craig Peterson for Exit 30 Media. Stay safe, stay classy, and for sake, wear a mask. 